the young ones of the Disciple Center? No problem, we'll hold. All right, we're set. Hopefully, you were able to listen to last week's service as I spoke to the adults and the parents of the teens talking about the prodigal son and how the father had a perspective and was awaiting the son. But they, the father himself never wavered and continued to till the ground or do what he did as he looked day in and day out for the son to come back. So we looked at that last week. If you didn't um, listen to it, go back, take a listen to it, because this sermon follows up and is based on the children and the second most important decision they will ever make. A few weeks ago, about a month and a half ago, I have always known that other than making your choice to follow Christ, to listen to the Lord and follow His ways, the second most important decision is actually who you will choose to marry. How many of you young ones are going to or hope to get married someday? I see some hands. That's a good thing. We're not going the way of the world. We're going the way of Scripture. Now, in Genesis, it assumes that you're going to get married because it tells you in that story, to leave and cleave to your spouse. So, we don't even have to read that passage, but I want you to go ahead and flip over to Proverbs chapter 4. I grew up in a God-fearing home. I always understood that my future spouse needed to be God-fearing woman. Although that was made known through conversations, I really never understood why. There is a passage in the New Testament that my parents always talked about, about being equally yoked. And we'll get to that later. But I want you to fully comprehend what God has in store and why you need to make sure that they're of the faith. This is supposed to also provoke and encourage conversations in the home between you and your children. A lot of times, I know growing up, the parents said, oh, you know what? The youth pastor will take care of that. They'll talk to my children about that. No, this is, that's why I wanted the parents and I wanted the kids in here to go over this piece together. This is to encourage you. And really what I'm doing is I'm encouraging your relationship as they continue to grow up. Even my eight-year-old yesterday, I could tell she was a little bit bored because a lot of times I'll run things through them to get their feedback and adapt what I can to keep others engaged, especially in this type of teaching. So I did adapt some things, and we talked about Proverbs 4.23, and I broke it up into A and B. The first part of Proverbs 23a says, Watch over your heart with all diligence. We talked about that. They didn't know what diligence means. So we broke it down to them. Protecting thyself with all diligence means watching out for for your heart day by day, hour by hour, second by second. You see, your influences in everything you choose comes from your thoughts and your feelings, your heart, 
you love your love of family, your love of friends comes from within. And so it's no mistake that the Lord plants that here in this passage. Watch over your heart with all diligence. It's going to take you in the way of your career. It's going to allow you to be around people, your future spouse in some way. And so if you're watching that, that's not a big deal. That's a good thing. You're going to be influenced by others around you. Let's go on to part B here. For from it flows the springs of life. Just as I was saying earlier. For from your heart flow your decisions and everything you make. We have to put God first in everything we do. Even choosing your spouse. If you've chosen to follow Christ, this is your next step. Now, I want to give you some examples. Are there some baseball people in here? Can I get an amen? All I got were some hands. Are there some baseball people in here? Amen. All right. Well, did you know baseball should not come before God? Did you know in 1965, the Dodgers were in in the World Series race in September when Yom Kippur was coming up? Now, in 1965, Sandy Koufax was one of their major players. That's right. You know me. I like the Dodgers. We're Dodgers people in my house. Sandy Koufax is Jewish. Game one was happening. He had to choose. What was he going to choose? Was he going to choose to honor the Lord, his God? Or was he going to play what the coaches wanted and pitch for the first game of the World Series. You have to make a choice. Sandy Koufax told his coaches and all his players that he didn't really have a choice. He set out that first game. He went to synagogue. And he didn't play the first game of the World Series. He chose to follow the Lord. Guess what? Sandy Koufax went on to help the Dodgers win the World Series that year, and he was the MVP. You see, I was talking with my children yesterday, and I said, listen, you're going to have a lot to choose from in the world out there, but you always have to filter it through God's promised word and the Bible. And I said, hey, if I told you that you could have anything out there, a piece of candy, but God has something better for you. Would you take that piece of candy or would you hold off on what God has for you? This tells you their personalities. One of them said, so I I talked about a lollipop. You see here, I'm keeping the kids engaged. There's a lollipop. You can have any of those. That's what the world will tell you. But if you hold off, and what God has for you, you can have something better. One of my children said, I think I'd hold off. Another one said, I'd take that lollipop. No problem. Right? Which tells me I need to have more conversation. I also talked about how the Lord's not going to bless them in that way. If you go and take the first thing you can, God has something better for you. So if you hold off and don't just grab what you can in the world... You'll have the next one. Oh, man! There's ten of those lollipops. 
in just one of those you could have chose. You see, God has something better for us if we will just listen to Him. But we also need to be protecting our hearts, for from it we will be influenced with our decisions. All right, let's go on to Deuteronomy 7. As you guys are flipping over there, I will say this, for the sake of this teaching, I won't go into Deuteronomy 6, and we all know Deuteronomy 6. We raise up our children, we talk about His words, His statutes, His commands, diligently, as Proverbs 4.23 just said, do it diligently, protect your heart. Now we're teaching our kids diligently His ways in chapter 6. But we're going to focus on chapter 7. So I'm assuming, parents, that you are good and you've already done that. Or you're doing that now. The interesting thing, before I move on, I heard about six weeks ago, this has been my thought process, and I love when people affirm it that I kind of look up to their teachings and different things. So Dennis Prager, on his radio show, or maybe a podcast he has, said the most important decision anybody will ever make isn't about going to college. Now, would you, as parents, prefer your kids go to Harvard or Yale or Stanford or to have a good marriage? If you had to make that choice, which one would you make? Now, a lot of parents in the world would say, a good college, if they could graduate, they could write their own, you know, career path. Let me tell you this, to have a good career and have a crappy marriage, you're going to have a horrible career. Because you're not going to be able to go to work and work in a way that you really could reach your full potential. But if you have a spouse that's going to be encouraging and supportive, watch out. There's nothing that you can't handle. And so that's, that's the important piece. Deuteronomy 7, chapter 1 and 2. Now, I, I must also give this prerequisite. I know that this passage is about Israel and them going into the promised land. I get that. But I'm going to take some of it and we're going to apply it. How do we apply His Word other than to our lives? And what He talks about to Israel, we're going to say, okay, how do I apply this today to us, to our children? The Bible is for us to teach them how He worked within His people. So Deuteronomy 7.1 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you, when the Lord God blesses you to the point that you are grown up and you're ready to get married, listen to this. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them, before you, and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. If you go to a conference and you're able to be with the Tennesseans, the Texans, the Californians, the whatever it may be, you're not to be just a part of those people. We're going to see here, you're to take from who God is molding for His kingdom. Verse 3, furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. Why? 
Why? It says right here, You shall not intermarry with people of the world. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. I'm going to stop there. This is talking to the parents. And up until about 50 years ago, children, your parents would have the right to say, no, 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 I don't agree with this marriage. Things got twisted around, thanks to my generation and the generation before me, and gave you the right to choose for yourself. That's screwed up. The only person besides God that cares more for you are your parents. You should want their approval. I went to Kara's parents and made sure that they would allow me to marry Kara. Hopefully, you will have that same relationship with your parents because this passage makes it look like it's up to the parent to give their daughter, to give their son away in marriage. So, catch that when you read through this passage as you get older and you're looking to get married. All right. Uh, how Reading shouldn't be apparently looking. Okay. Let's go on. I want to say here as well, parents, do you have a good relationship with your kid? Are you having these conversations with them now? Parents, are you praying for your child's future spouse? That's something that my mom and my dad brought me up telling me, I prayed for your spouse before you were even born. That's one thing, that's a tradition that I have actually carried through and prayed when Kara was pregnant, before she was pregnant, for Rebecca's spouse and Hannah's spouse and Leah's spouse, asking God to allow whoever it is to be molded in the way that He would be able to carry it on, the faith, and love them as Christ loved the church. That's the most important thing to me. I don't care if they're black, Asian, whatever nationality they are. If they love God and they love my daughters the way Christ loved the church, that's the most important thing. And some of you turkeys in here who are boys, you better watch out. I may like you now, but you start to date my daughter, you're at zero. Okay? So, but that is very important in that way for you to continue those relationships and praying for your children now and their spouses. God hears our cries. He answers our prayers. Amen? And so we are praying for you, children. If you don't hear that, if you don't know that we're praying for your future spouses, know that I have prayed for your future spouses as you're here in the Disciple Center. I'm asking God, petitioning the Lord for you to have a God-fearing man a God-fearing woman in your life later on. We have a short period of time to influence our children. Those who have gone before us know that we have about anywhere from 15 to 20 years, and then they go off and they live their life. Hopefully we're still influencing them. They have a relationship with us. 
but their spouse is going to influence them for the next 60 to 80 years. How important is that, parents, to pray for their spouse now? Very important. Verse 4 of chapter 7 in Deuteronomy. For they will turn... Why do they need to marry within the faith? For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. They will turn your daughters away from me to follow other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and He will quickly destroy you. Do you understand? This is the warning that if you go with somebody outside the faith, they're going to turn you away from this faith. I had that conversation with my daughters yesterday. I said, hey, again, reflecting a little on last week and this week, how many of you children want your parents to, to stand the ground for God? How many of you say, well, I pray my parents, no matter what, will be faithful to the Lord? How many of you want that? Yeah, yeah, I see some hands. That means that they may have to turn against you or hold their ground and say, I'm praying for you, but I can't be a part of that relationship later on. That's pretty hard. Hey, Hannah, Leah, Rebecca, he's not a God-fearing man. I'm not paying for your wedding. I love you. I won't be at your wedding. I've been that person that has held steadfast for the Lord in my family's relationships. And people are like, how can you do that? Because God did not bless that relationship. Crying on their wedding day, asking them to just wait. There's a process. Or saying it, that's not allowed in the scripture. And having them tell me, well, if I'm wrong, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. That hurt. But I could not go. I could not say yes. Interesting, we are here today on Tish B'Av and we're talking about this. If I have to stand by your parent, you have no idea how down and out they will be and how we will be hitting our knees and praying for you in your relationship if you choose to move forward with an ungodly one later on. Create that relationship now. Hopefully, they will have that relationship with you and listen to you as they get older. Because we all know our heart and our love is out there. Right? Oh, that boy, he, he loves me, Mom. He loves me. Or she loves me. I just want to make him happy. That's going to happen. Some of you are like, uh-uh. Even my daughter's like, ooh, that's gross. Right? At this phase. Good. That's fine. But later on, it's going to be harder. All right. They will turn them away if they get into an ungodly relationship. So, that's apparent. That's what the God, God says right there. Let's talk about good relationships in the Scripture or bad relationships. Interesting enough, Stay right there in Deuteronomy 7. I'm going to reference some, and I'll read it to you. In Genesis 26, 34 through 36, 
We'll go with the good one first. <clears throat> Genesis 24, 1 through 4. Abraham sends his servant back to the land in which he came. He didn't want the Hittite. He didn't want the other person in the land he was roaming around in. So he sent his servant back. And he says, Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. I'm old, I can't speak very high. I need you to come, place your thigh, place my hand under your thigh. I have your ear at that point. I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son through the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you will go to my country and my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. Pretty important to keep it within the family, right? And so he goes back in that way. A good example of one that doesn't pick one from within the faith? Genesis 26, 34 to 36. There were two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And I'm not saying Jacob went back the way he should have to the homeland but the other one chose to marry women not of the family and it says in 34 through 36 of Genesis 26 when Esau was 40 years old he married get this he married Judith doesn't say that Judith was chosen by Abraham or Sarah or Isaac and Rebecca sorry but he married Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought, they brought grief to Isaac and to Rebekah. If you go outside the faith to get married, you will bring grief and strife in your family. It's right there within the scriptures there's a process there is a great process though I will say this one of the best best uh, books I have read about this is by somebody that we know very well Bruce Dr. Stokes Pastor Stokes right toward a Christian marriage there's a process that you should be going through when you're getting to know somebody he talks about it in here but for the sake of time, that's not what I'm lecturing on in here. It's not what I'm teaching on in here today. But when you go outside of the process and you want to, you're in love and, you know, you hear the great stories of the 60s, the 70s, and, and the 50s maybe, and you hear your grandparents say, oh yeah, we were dating and we were so much in love and we got married within six months. That's a dangerous way to do it. There was a different commitment level in that time, in that era. That's not here today. People would commit themselves within that period of time, and then they would move forward. You'll be lucky if you go outside the faith that anybody wants to get married. It's a commitment to God. It's a commitment to that other person. It's a commitment in front of other people to hold you accountable. And so there is a process in that way. That process, I'm not going to read any scripture, but I'm going to reference it. Ruth 
went through a process. She said, no, don't send me back home, Naomi. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. Where you die, I will die. She took on the faith. Not only did she take on the faith, she started to practice it. Boaz was watching the whole time. If you go outside the faith, let me tell you about the damage I've seen in my own life and in, within even my family and other families. You go outside the faith and somebody somehow comes to the Lord. I, I've seen this over and over again. They come to the Lord miraculously because you were a dating missionary. That's what I was called when I was younger. I was a dating missionary. Those relationships never worked out well. And I've seen tons of them not work out well for other people either. You see, because although Boaz was watching Ruth from a distance, he could see that her faith was his faith. Watch that other person from a distance with no influence from you and see if their faith is genuine for the next two or three years. And then you might be able to date them. But if you start dating them and you think you're the one that's changing their heart and their ways, you are mistaken because that's a God-given gift. I've seen... Girls especially think that they changed the man. And after five or six years of marriage, they didn't change anything. That person went through the process, did what the family wanted to see, got baptized, but nothing inside was changed except for their behaviors for a short period of time. I've seen how it hurt when that divorce happens. I've seen how the children have been torn up because they live in a home that one person is godly and the other person who proclaimed to be godly was never of the faith. That is a hard place to be. We don't want you to be there. We want you to have a good one, right? But can you go to the next slide, Randy? You can choose to have a nice life in this house. Beautiful. Got the lawn. You may have children. You may have a good career. That may be all you want. But do you want more? How much more do you really want? God has something even better in store for you. I'll get to the next slide in a minute. Not right now. So let's go on to chapter 5 and read through 11. It says, But thus you shall do to them, you shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. See, have no part in what those people of the world are doing. And hewn down their ashram and burn their graven images with fire. Wow. If they're going to do that to those people, do you really want to participate in a relationship of somebody that's in the world? No way. For you are a holy people. You, my children, these children of the Disciple Center, are a holy People unto God. Did you know that? You were considered holy. You were dedicated right here. Your parents are bringing you up unto the Lord. You are holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you 
to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Wow, that's pretty special. You want to be um, narcissistic? Be narcissistic about this. God chose me. That's a pretty humbling statement. For the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more? Are we more than the world out there? No. We're, you were more in number? No. Than any of the peoples? For you were the fewest of all the peoples. See, God doesn't need a big crowd. He needs people that are going to be faithful. He will glorify His name through you if you're faithful in this way. He will bless you beyond even your wildest imaginations. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see, your parents were brought out of slavery. They could have went the way of the world and maybe your parents would have ended up together, but you would have been in bondage to slavery. You would have been part of the world that has no hope. But He brought you out. He put you in the family that you're in. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to you. To you and to you. He keeps His loving kindness to a thousand generations with those. With you? Yes. Even beyond you. To those who love Him and keep His commandments. Keep His commandments, follow His ways, choose somebody that desires to follow the Lord, but He repays those who hate you to their faces. To destroy them, He will not delay with Him who hates Him. He will repay Him to His faces, to His face. Therefore you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. I've shown you in the scriptures, we've looked at the passages, and we now know that He has something better for you. If you will just choose somebody that fears Him. Now, Randy, show me what they could have. That's what God wants you to have. If you choose somebody in the world, you'll never get that. You want a big house? You want the perfect person? You want the blessings God has for you to continue through a life with God's blessing upon you? Choose somebody that loves Him. Not somebody that's good looking. All the time. Because trust me, the makeup comes off. His muscles stop being muscles and they get saggy. Right? Choose somebody who loves Him. If you have any questions, let me give it to you more straight. Let's look over in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15. Even before that, in verse 13, it says, Now, in a like exchange, I speak to the children. Wow. I speak to the children. Open wide to us also. Open your minds. Because here we go. You need it more plainly. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Talking to the children. Paul, right here, to the Corinth. 
Why is he doing this to the Gentiles? Because they have a bad habit. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? They have nothing in common. The hard thing is, you guys, you all live in the flesh, just like your mom and your papa, your dad do. We live in the flesh, and it's hard, especially when you don't protect your heart and you let your heart guide you where you go, and they love me. Okay? Protect your heart, for out of it flows your direction of life. That's the most important thing. For God has the most amazing thing in store for you and not just something that will get you through this life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.